Hello and welcome to So Bad It's Good, the podcast that always comes with recipes. So if you're having cannibals over for tea, make sure to serve them their favourite dish, white documentary crew. So this is So Bad It's Good. Thanks for joining us, keeping up with us as we approach the end of our first season. Before we round off the podcast, though, with our dazzling award ceremony, which we're quite excited about, a bit new, we do have one last vacancy to fill. We struggled, but if this is to be our last outing, it'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Netflix. It's nothing new to say that Netflix has changed how we view films. Netflix began in the days of where you pop down to the local video rental. And this was back in the day, back in the age when a looming blockbuster fine made you feel like a tax exile. Now for a simple flat fee, you can access a good portion of the world's crystal viewing library, both TV and movies and everything in between. All about Netflix is its dexterity. It's the fact that it switches from serious to fluff in just a matter of scrolls. And to give them the due, they do the serious side and they do uh, the not so serious with equal skill. And after all said and done, there's a definite Netflix flavour. Cults and crime, Hollister types lolling in the sun, drug runner dramas and pedo profiles, more of which I'm sure we'll cover when it's the so bad it's good mini bar opens a little later on. But before we get into all that stuff and we analyse the streaming service, let's play our last ever casting couch. Oh God. As always, there's a batch of uh, would-be movie titles jostling about in Max's little uh, uh, pen holder. Yeah, so Max, what's it going to be this week? I think it's a mixed bag, really, because we've got documentaries and we've got like serious dramas and yeah, and, and the like. So the next, the next movie for our casting couch is <laughs> Know Me, Knowing You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Ashley, yes. you're so happy. <laughs> Elizabeth Berkeley speaks out. Oh, that is I believe uh, is the subtitle. That, that is the subtitle, yes. Um so I think that pretty much writes itself. Uh yeah, I would say so. But to be fair, the, there is uh a Nomi uh, well not a Nomi documentary, but there is a Showgirls one out at the minute, isn't it? I sent you that link. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, no, but I do I will I yeah. will watch it. I think it came out, I think it's pretty much very fresh or, or even still out at, at the pictures now. Um, but yeah, so it shows that we were onto something anyway, if someone's actually bothered to... Did, did you fund this documentary? <laughs> they come to me actually before putting like a GoFundMe page on. That was one of their proof points, it's like, you know this is genuine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alison and Ian don't know the house has been remortgaged. <laughs> So just a few seconds ago, we hinted at a few Netflix staples, fleetingly. Um, But what about more in-depth look at cliches? This is the point in the show, as per, for any loyal listeners, we start a little drinking game between us. So before we launch into specifics, which we'll come on to later, let's have a look at some general stuff that is all over uh, Netflix, like a rash. So Max, do you want to? Yeah, yeah. So I I think the first thing that comes to mind, and I'd say this would be a a nice, actually surprisingly thinking about this, we haven't had a single one of these in our mini bar, uh, a roni. uh, Yeah, no, we haven't. So a nice cold roni um, in this one. And I'm going to talk about like serious remakes or darker remakes of either famous films or uh, like 80s, 90s nostalgia. Oh yes. Um, so this is done really well with like with like Stranger Things. Like that's not even a real remake. It's like a, a kind of amalgamation of everything that you you associate with the eighties, mm. and that's done to a really good effect. Um, but also you've got like they've remade the Sabrina the Teenage Witch um, TV show into this dark gritty remake. Um, and I don't. I think I think broadening it out beyond Netflix, it's a streaming show kind of staple of like them making kind of movies into into like TV series yeah. uh, with this darker edge uh, to it. I think a lot of them do it to try and get viewers in and to capitalize on the nostalgia of it all. Um, and all of them usually have some 
very fleeting reference to a to an actor or a person within the original movie uh, that may have like kind of passed in. So, you know, I know we were saying that one of our ideas for our casting couch was Roadhouse, the TV show, and like that would have definitely that would have definitely had like I don't know the guy who played uh, the farmer just just being <laughs> as one of the main characters in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the one who's always got to kiss off um, Ben Wesley's wife, probably now. Bloody do, isn't it? Like, obviously, you get older and you get, you know, your looks go yeah. tragically. So they tend to park you in like, like a, a less a role that you don't need to be a looker for. Mm-hmm. So Ben Wesley's wife probably be like a cleaner or something in the new one. Yeah. Or behind the bar. Yeah, behind the bar that would work. That would work. Then, a nice yeah, role. like a yeah behind the bar. But I think they also do this thing, which is like they um, it also kind of turns it's it like especially ones that are like trying to be tied to the events of the movie. I mean, the, the one that that springs to mind for me, no, you don't really know these, but the Marvel TV series that have spun out from the main movies. And like some of them are stuck in a bit of a kind of holding pattern because they can't do anything until the next movie comes out until they kind of like can feed off that. So it, it could become a quite a dry TV show, um, anything. And we've just like uh, only real fanboys and fangirls will actually watch it with any real enjoyment. Why, why 80s nostalgia? I see, I've got a bit of a snobby, like um, poncy, pretentious logic to this is that I think every decade looks back at like two or three decades ago. So mm-hmm. you think in the 80s, look at how many TV show movies that were successful were set in the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got, I think, late late 70s, early 80s, you had Grease, which was set in the 50s and 60s. You had like yeah. Dirty Dancing, which was set in the 60s. So it, it seems quite strange that there's this, and like now, that I mean, recently in the last like late 2010s, early 2020s now, like the 80s is, and now the 90s as well, is becoming like, this, this looking back nostalgically type thing. So I think it's not, I think we're not the only, I think it's like Netflix isn't the only one guilty of it. I think it's actually kind of a, a common thread to it uh, with, within it all of like, uh, people just want to look back. I mean, can you imagine like in 2040, uh, we'll be looking back and there'll be TV shows about, you know, being in the 2010s or something. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because it's quite, because it, it's full of like good like the start of good franchise stuff, I guess, in the eighties as well. Like everyone like um like the Indiana Joneses and the yeah. Star Wars are still at the height and stuff like that. So we had all that like chain movies going on, which people like. Um yeah, I don't really know why. Uh yeah, so I think I'm gonna go for a nice uh, flat Somerset cider, uh suitable for maybe a small pup to drink and collapse in a doze a contrast inbuilt into netflix's system and i think this is a wait for this this is a clash that brings together in a very micro form some of the bigger trends of netflix Mm -hmm. number one the very brooding title credits Mm. full of like sparse landscapes silhouettes, um, broody, melancholic music, Mm. and the skip now button. (laughs) (laughs) So, because on the one hand, you've got Netflix trying to be clever, thoughtful, you know, this, this is, it's, it's does its own production. It's got its own production revenue thing. It's, it's trying to be produce top class stuff. But at the same time, it wants to be really modern and up to date. So yeah. it's, it's so people, you know, obviously people can't be asked with adverts anymore, but not only get rid of the, the credits, jump onto the next episode, you know, all of these little functionality yeah. stuff. That's just like that little countdown that you get uh, at the end where you've got like 20 seconds to yeah. sort of get a drink, uh, sort of commando crawl back to the couch <laughs> before the next one starts. I also say with your sparse open credits, you're right, it has silhouettes and it has it has sparse la- landscapes. I'm also going to say it also has uh, the images of either 
blood or ink or some darker liquid like like kind of like clouding water that kind of design that effect, that ink blot effect yes yeah yeah like when oil spills on water and it yeah forms and it like kind it. of yeah, yeah, clouds yeah. underneath and everything <laughs> yeah. like that yeah every yeah, single yeah. time every single yeah. time um, yeah i know what you mean yeah that's <laughs> yeah you, you never like, saw you never saw uh, game of thrones did you no no so like that's probably the one show i wouldn't mind just watching the credits to every single time like they do it's is really it a map cool. or something oh, you just need to watch it ash you, you just need to watch yeah. it like i know the last season wasn't to everyone's liking but like don't 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 be that guy that's like deliberately not watching game of thrones because you think it's cool like you know oh no i didn't i i had mates who forced me to watch it at uni and i just thought it was crap really I just thought that I just think the plot was, especially yeah. in the earlier seasons, the intricate like nature of the plot and how things like it's all very much like as, as a character driven story that is set in this fantasy world. Like, I think it's really impressive that they always did those type of things like, mm. you know. Yeah, Game of Thrones. I'm happy to live without Game of Thrones. Okay. Even though there are some box sets that maybe one day Breaking Bad looks fairly good. I've never I got I, that. I got bored with that. I think the first season was very, very good, um, but I, I just, I just thought, I just lost interest with it. I don't know why. I just, I just had no real desire to continue watching it. Um, Stranger Things is probably the one that I'm still really loving, and I, I haven't rewatched it, but I, I do right. really want to rewatch it. Um, the Witcher was quite fun. I enjoyed The Witcher. But... Yeah, I never watched that. I, I I love the I love the books and the video games, so like I was already oh. hooked on it. So I I don't know whether how accessible it is to people who are not really into that, but I know people who've watched it and absolutely love it who've never played the game before. But you know, and for your next drink, yeah. So um, I am going to uh, take probably a uh, a sherry, kind of a nice uh, a nice sherry okay. on a Sunday afternoon at four rebooting people's careers oh okay um in in random ways like uh very like famously with the breaking bad you've got brian cranston like reinvigorating his career through breaking bad and i think a lot of people a lot of actors have found that as an outlet it's like maybe my career's on the downturn maybe it's not working out as well as i think it could be i'll go and do it some some kind of edgy tv show on netflix and that usually gives some some kind of credibility back to my role um because after he did breaking bad brian cranston did the godzilla movies and he was now like kind of superstar which was a really strange kind of thing when you yeah. think about it um so yeah i think that would happen and also it's not just within like the kind of dramas the, the films and stuff i think it's also within reality shows that are on Netflix, they always get some sub-rate presenter that has never really, that you might recognise, might know. Like, I, I still don't know after watching Love is Blind who the hell the Lachaise are. The two arseholes who yeah. present now, I, I have no idea who they are. Yeah, but it's acted as if, oh, it's the Lachaise, and everyone's absolutely, like, impressed to see them. And you're like, who the hell are you? Like... <laughs> who are they? Were they, I mean... Because I was under the impression that they met on a reality show. They were like the proof, if you know what I mean. I, like, look what happens if... Yes. See this through. Yeah, I would. I, I think that would be the natural assumption, but I'm pretty sure they met like any normal human properly meets their partner, not through a thick wall of glass, uh, ends up being yeah. someone who is uh, a massive drunk and feeds her dog wine. <laughs> um yeah. So yeah, like I, I, I don't know, but that you always have someone who is like some like I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Gillian McKeith turns up in a uh, in the Netflix. <laughs> She's definitely going to do it at some point about her trying to be like yeah I don't know but yeah you'll see that or maybe she's leading uh, acting classes. You remember that time when she fainted on Armistice? Oh yeah, in front of yeah she sort of because she got selected for the Bush Tucker thing. Yeah, but for like for like the fifth time or whatever, and she was, and everyone hated her in that scene because you could tell they were like, "We're not going to eat tonight, are we?" Like, yeah. we're going to get the really shit supply. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's see. What have I got? Um. Because it's become an episode staple now. I've got. I've got to have. 
a brandy warming in my palm. <laughs> Should we have a brandy when you actually come round? It says like, yeah, oh, right yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll post it. We'll get it out on social as like a as one of our things. Um, I'm going to go for controversial portraits, crudely called pedo portraits in the intro. Hmm. Because you've got that. I'm, I'm yet to see the Epstein one. That was really interesting, that. That was really no, interesting. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Um, but you've got a lot of other, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, obviously, you, you. I mean, you've got the bread and butter array of serial killers and whatnot. Mm. Um, which I quite liked the fact that Netflix are sort of branching out now. Like, they know, like, the Anglo-American is full mm. of top class serial killers yeah but i think they've gone before we exhaust that <laughs> let's look at france <laughs> let's see what they've got to yeah. offer or portugal let, let let's let's look in their cold case files shall or we? uh or more iconically canada or uh <laughs> luca magnata <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, do you know what? We can cut this bit. That's going to be. I didn't even think. I've got my list of Netflix. <laughs> what the, I can't believe. I can't believe people are still talking at the back. Can't believe. Missed me that. Luca. Hey, I, I'm Luca Magnoda. Oh my god. Oh, I. Oh, what a diddy. Um. But yes, indeed, Canada. So I quite, I, I think I quite like the fact that whoever, you know, the researchers on Netflix, they know that they hold an absolute royal flush yeah. with American serial killers. Yeah. But they thought, well, slip them under the cuffed shirt for now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think it's interesting. I think also, and I, I, I kind of say, have your brandy and maybe have like a, I don't know. Another one afterwards, maybe, um, or a cigar <laughs> yeah. with it, um, is is like they have access to information that you don't know whether it's legal. I always find with like like the Ted Bundy documentary, which has like his tapes that he was recording yeah. these things. Okay, that's yeah. like really. I mean, it's obviously people are going to be clicking onto that and watching that because of how like I have this 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 like lens into this psycho's mind, and I really want to access that and understand that but at the same time it's also very like quite disturbing that some production crew has managed to liaise with the police and go hey we're doing this can we get these these like cassette tapes and mm. you know record them and put them into a into a tv show format it doesn't seem like are you allowed to do that? like you know it's, it feels like you're infringing upon certain yeah that's yeah, there's a lot of that, and like it just general sort of like nine one one calls and stuff in mm. general. Um, the way they have, they can reap all of that material. Yeah. Um, did you ever see the Confessions Killer? Have you seen that one? Uh, no, I've, I've got it on my list to watch, but yeah, that's quite good. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I give. I not, not. Uh, yeah, no, not upward like the Making of Murders, which was epic, but it that that was quite good. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be up for watching that. Be up for watching that. Did not really rate Making a Murderer. Do you think he did it? No, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. The whole thrust of that documentary is that he didn't. Yeah. Um, and everyone who likes and watches and knows anything about the documentary is convinced he didn't. I'm not convinced he didn't. But I, I guess I think for me, and this is what the documentary makers have said, is that, that the whole purpose of it, obviously intentionally or not, the whole purpose of it was not to show guilt or innocence with this guy, but to show how messed up the legal system was that put him in that position. And I think mm. that I'm willing to like say, yeah, this like on, on the fact that the legal system really did a, a, an injustice to Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey, by all means, he should be like, this should be kind of, you know, thrown out of court. I just don't know whether he is 100%. I, not because I actually, I think a lot of evidence is supporting that he didn't do it. I just think like there's a certain, there are certain, there's a certain level of conspiracy-ness which makes you think like, is that, if someone gone really to that length just to exactly. make one guy, exactly one guy go to prison? That seems so extreme. But, Who's, who's to know? Who's to say? 
I mean, that's that's the thing about it. Um, speaking of which, and I don't know whether we should be promoting rival podcasts. Um, obviously, listen to this multiple times, but if you are interested in listening to some other podcast, S Town. Have you ever seen S Town? No. It's a really good doc. It's a really good podcast made by like this American life. Just listen to it. It's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic podcast. S Town. Oh, S Town. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's fantastic, fantastic uh, podcast. I highly recommend it. I think you'll love it. Mm, okay. Um, I guess my kind of final drink of the night, um, and this is going to be, uh, I'm going to say this is a, a yard of ale, which I've never actually had. But, Neither you know, have I. Um, but I'm going to say it is uh, a watch list that you will never ever get through and <laughs> <laughs> yeah i yeah, i have said to myself multiple times <laughs> like just to myself it's, it's like usually like friday saturday night usually follows this thing so oh, if we're not doing anything we'll have dinner we'll watch something i might you know we'll, we'll watch something like we, we plan to watch a movie or whatever but then it will get to like 10 o'clock or something hannah starts to fall asleep and just kind of rest um, with like like just fall asleep and we're watching TV or we might be halfway through a movie and still fall asleep and then I'll be like right I'll put on something that I've been wanting to watch okay and I go and I, I, I commit myself to this I think like you know what I'm not going to just scout around Netflix I've got my list I'm going to just try and tick off stuff on that list every single time this situation comes up I go to my list and it's like hey, I can't I can't be asked to watch any of this and then I'll, I'll find start, something I'll find something else and then I spend I've spent up to like 20, 20 to 30 minutes scouring, yeah. literally going yeah. through, yeah. going. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I also, I just, I think it's not even like I know what I want. I think it's just, I think I, I genuinely just, I think that the, the amount of it is, and the one thing I'm really guilty of on Netflix is I put a ton of foreign films on my list because I'm really interested in watching them and I just, just haven't watched them because of just the, 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 the knowledge that I have to just invest a bit more concentration into it. Yes, yeah. The facts that I found about Netflix doing my researching is that the estimate. See, I think this is wrong. This is wrong, but it, it's still depressing. I think it's just that the the average someone looks for a thing to watch is two minutes, and within at the end of the two minutes, they either find something that they're after. Or just give up. How depressing. <laughs> that's a that's a metaphor for life, right there. Um... Of two minutes. Oh, there's so many things. Oh, there's so many things. Put the. Oh, that'll do. That's depressing. That. Yeah. Yeah. Although... But I think it should be much longer because I I oh, I've spent. Yeah, half an hour easily yeah. scrolling through. But just because I think you're like, mm, could I watch this? Maybe I want to add it to my list. And mm, you know, like, yeah, have I'm you seen? Quite in the mood for that. Yeah. Oh, I could watch. Oh, I'd want to watch that a bit like at another time. Yeah. I definitely want to watch that, but another time. So that's our discussion of Netflix cliches and tropes to keep an eye out for. And usually at this stage, we've got a film in focus in our little trashy driving. Uh, it's been face off. Uh, staying live roadhouse all of those stuff in the past few weeks but it's a bit hard to take that approach for netflix because netflix isn't just one thing lots of things so instead what we've decided to do is select our favorite what the fuck moments um definitely one of netflix's most lasting and impressionable inventions um, and just walk you through them walk you through some of our favorites so max do you want to kick us off with one of your jaw droppers. Mm. So um, for mine is probably kind of indicative of lockdown as well, right at the start, which seems age, like obviously ages ago when this was a big thing um, in Tiger King. Um, mm. and, and the series, which I think we can both agree is, is full of WTF moments. Um, but the moment that sticks <laughs> yeah. out in my mind, the one that sticks out in my mind where I, 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 I had to pause it and rewind it and watch it again because I was so, I was just like, what the fucking hell is going on in this scene? Um, was the funeral. Um, 
three quarters of the way through. <laughs> yeah, good scene. Um, like, so um, Joe Exotics, like one of his lovers has, has killed himself, whether it's by accident or design, it's, it's not really clear, but he's killed himself, he's at this funeral. And, you know, Joe Exotic, because there doesn't seem any, there doesn't seem to be anything that Joe Exotic can't do. Uh, he has uh, decided to officiate the funeral. He's all in black. He's got this, like, you know, uh, cowboy necktie on, and he's got his, his big kind of cowboy hat on. And he's, and the guy who's killed himself, his mum's in the front row. Obviously, everyone's really sad. Like the the whole people of the of the of, of like the the zoo are there. Like all the staff, all his friends, co-workers, and stuff. And he starts like speaking about him and, and everything. Now. Joe Exotic, we can know at this point, is a bit egotistical. He's running for president or trying to run for president. Like, so you know that he's going to try and make it about himself. And that's almost like a given. And so he starts talking about how, like, you know what, when he was always really busy writing a speech at night, this guy would come over to him and, you know, like, he was always there for him. And you're like, OK, fair enough. You know, you're making it about you, but that's that's to be expected. And then it takes a complete left turn when he goes when i was uh, busy writing speeches and stuff uh, he'd he'd come on over and and rub those big balls in my face and everyone laughs uh, this is uh, this moment is everyone laughs awkwardly and it's one of those things like you see that in a lot of funerals and if you go to funerals funerals it's actually a real thing it's like people usually throw out some maybe embarrassing or maybe funny anecdote about this person you know, some some kind of like weird habit they had or something just to kind of like highlight there is laughter and, and kind of people do laugh kind of nostalgically for that. And as weird as this <laughs> this scene is, especially in front of the guy's mother, um, that it, it kind of like you can kind of excuse it to that point. And so you think he's just <laughs> going to move on now. He's going to talk about whatever. And then he goes, and those of you around here who have uh, who know him, you know, you've seen his balls. You know what I'm talking about. I'm like, what the hell <laughs> is that there? Like, when, in whatever situation, even as a zookeeper, do you show your colleagues <laughs> your balls <laughs> around, around tigers? And then, and then the top it all, and this is the <laughs> bit that I, I just had to pause it. I was, like, completely shocked. I just, again, like you think he's going to move away from this anecdote. <laughs> this is what I love. He's going to move away from it at some point. Come on. Like now he's going to move away. He said what he's needs to say. He's going to, no, oh, he's, he's surely, surely. He's not going to labor this point about the guy's testicles. <laughs> and then he just goes, he says, ah, those balls, they were like, and he like looks away wistfully, like he's kind of like half imagining them in his mind's eye. Yeah, I think the tears yeah. in his eyes at this point. <laughs> he's like, their balls, they're, they were like golden nuggets to that bar. <laughs> <laughs> what does first act right? Firstly, on the subject of the fact that he's clearly he's plowing deeper and deeper into a topic that's ever more skin crawling it just reminds me of the bit one of my favorite ever peep show moments is where mark goes back to his um yeah. his school reunion they're having like a little disco in this nightclub and he meets his school crush again mm. and uh she's showing him pictures of, it, of their kids i think it's like and mark just goes yeah i love kids and she looks and he goes but not in that way uh, you know uh, not in a pedo way and she sort of laughs and he goes uh, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm not on the child sex offenders register yet. And then she laughs. And by this time, like her husband's walked over at this point, and he goes, uh, which, which, "Which proves I'm not a pedo." And then he go. And then in his head, the voice, the peep show in a monologue, just goes, "Mark, move on from the pedo subject altogether." And it just, yeah, just surely the inner voice was just like, "Ooh, that was." Don't know where that came from let's just let's let's just talk about his his love and relationship literally anything else in funeral eulogy I, 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 but this is a show that it was just all about him yeah. in that yeah. moment it's just that he felt the need to just focus on on his ex-husband's yeah. testicles yeah. and they, they were like golden nuggets to that I, what does that even mean what does that mean like did me i I don't know. Were Does they that treasures mean, like, he to could... him? Did he like? I don't know. Like, 
I don't. I wouldn't associate gold. If I had a pair of gold nuggets, I wouldn't be rubbing them in people's faces. Personally, that's. I'd. I'd kind of. <laughs> golden and he's, yes. golden and he's so emotional about it as well like that's a really like i can't I just yeah, and <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i think i still think it's one of the most weirdest what the fuck moments i've ever seen on netflix yeah no i agree in a show that's practically nothing but yeah. uh w2 wtf moments yeah that does stand out I don't know what that phrase means. I don't know what, like, is he using them like golden nuggets in the sense that he's like, <laughs> he, he rubs them for a wish. I don't, oh, I don't God, know what it means. You rub for a wish. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, but I don't know what the, fra- I don't know where he's coming from with that phrase. I'm going to say though, that you're only going to get one wish granted if you want those golden nuggets. <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm saying. Um, um no, I, uh, speaking of nuggets, um, <laughs> like... I think I know where this is going to segue <laughs> into. Is it the nugget challenge by any chance? Yeah, no, so, uh, like, oh, it's, it's the, it is the nug challenge. I mean, I always wonder because, like, I, but now I don't know whether I can eat chicken nuggets anymore because I just think of, like, that's my association <laughs> as well, that nuggets are, like, nuggets. That's what I think of. Hmm. Um <laughs> But yeah, got like the golden yeah. M as well, which doesn't help. The golden um, M, yeah. That McDonald's paid him, but maybe maybe he was getting sponsored by McDonald's for his presidential <laughs> campaign. He had to make some kind of. <laughs> That's what you get with this podcast, folks. We're not sponsored because no one would ever do that with us. Oh, to be fair, no. Um, Christopher Nolan definitely isn't sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he's definitely Tarantino not isn't. Uh, uh, Paul Verhoeven, the director of Showgirls, probably would. I mean, I've put enough efforts in. Maybe he is. I mean, you've got your movie franchise with uh, with the sequel to, to Showgirls work. Um, <laughs> Showgirls, oh God, yeah, Showgirls two, tits and volcanoes. Um, okay, so my, do you know, you've rejogged my memory on a few of these, so I'm I'm grateful for that. But one that I had written down straight off the bat was: Did you ever watch Wild Wild Country? Yeah, County? yeah, Country? yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. Like one of the best things I watched the year wow. it came out, two thousand. I thought that was one of the best things wow. I'd seen. Okay, one of the best documentaries I'd seen certainly since some of the more recent ones we've watched, like Grey Gardens and things like that. Um, but there was a few moments in that that stood out to me. Okay, uh, one clearly like the crux of the show, and the other was. A mere throwaway that obsessed me for quite a while afterwards. Okay. So, firstly, for anyone who hasn't seen it, you definitely should give it a go. Uh, it's it's not too lengthy, and, and it's absolutely full of odd twists. Um, and it's definitely about a community, a cult, if you like, uh, called the Rajnishis, who you've probably never heard of. They moved into this, I don't know where, in America, a bit of a pick place. And um, at first he come across as kind-hearted uh, Indian mystic types who probably wouldn't hurt to fly, but actually they, they've got a lot more venom to them than that. And I think that's one of the surprising things about the documentary is that they're not all they're cracked up to be. Uh, and on a side note, Netflix tries to, or, well, the documentary tries, not Netflix, the ne- documentary tries to do this weird thing where it stages like a little proxy war between these, they move yeah. into like this American, you know, not slagging the place off, but you know, like a backward place. It's yeah. like, like it's like dusty hick town, and then you've got these new new people move in. And at first, the enemies look to be the hick town because you go, these are just intolerant sort of uh, Bible bashing sort of people. But then that flips towards the end. Anyway, two things. One thing, the big comeback. So there's a big sort of big standoff wars. There's loads of like turf war sort of shenanigans go on between these two camps and the Rajneeshis, these peaceful uh you know hippie-ish indian people decide to fight back and the way they do that is by poisoning a salad bar 
in like uh you know like the pizza hut salad bar yeah, that's yeah. what i'm imagining yeah they just laced that with like um laced the lettuce leaves or they they essentially a poisonous salad dressing for want of a better word um and that was uh, uh, the trick was if you killed enough people off at this pizza hut for yeah. Once, yeah for whatever it is that you will bring the voting figures down and that they would have they were bussing people in to try and vote like a motion through a vote account. Mm -hmm. So it was like a big election strategy, but the way they did it was to poison a salad bar. <laughs> and I just think, I just loved that. Secondly, Can you imagine that brainstorm? Can you just imagine them sitting <laughs> yeah. around? What shall we hmm, uh, poison the, maybe the water supply? No, no, too big, too big. no, no. That's like, that's like Joker level. We're not evil. That's what the Joker would we're do. We're not evil. We're not evil. Uh, the pizza hut in town is really popular though so that's really popular maybe not the water spike it probably wouldn't poison beer in fact let, let's steer off liquids maybe try the thousand island dressing at the yeah, pizza hut that, that works that works that works but wait don't don't people usually just go for the uh i don't know like the, the bottomless pizza pizza lunch menu well that's usually no 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 they go for salad <laughs> no <I> think... <laughs> yeah yeah Famously in America, yeah, these people go for the uh, the salad bar. Um, oh, second bit, probably even yeah, it tops that because essentially that that's a big cornerstone of the plot. The tiny little fragment that was a throwaway comment was you got the history. One of the farms that backs onto this uh, hippie camp thing was owned by the son of the guy who invented Nike shoes. <laughs> And you, it interviewed, I think, the the dad, or maybe it was the son, I can't quite remember, maybe the dad's dead, I don't know. The Anyway, it, it interviewed one of them about how they invented Nike shoes. Do you know what he did? What? Well, he was an actual runner, this guy. He was an actual uh, track athlete, track coach for many years of his life. In his 50s, he's training with these young'uns, and he wants to make better boots. Mm. So you know the way you probably remember from PE or whatever. Remember those shoes, the track boots where they have like little studs in them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stick into the ground. Well, that was the standard model back then. And he's thinking, oh, no, so I want to shake this up a bit. So he got a shoe, uh, shoved it in a waffle iron. <laughs> and the imprint of the waffle iron uh, made like, you know, well, you know, made like a, a different textured bottom to the shoe um, and he tried it out obviously waffled a lot of shoes put it on tried the team tried it out with waffle shoes and it was like yeah you can feel the difference you can feel like a you know a better sprint or whatever wow. and that's that's how he invented Nike but that it was like it was on for like a minute and I'm just watching this guy going yeah flug it on the waffle <laughs> just thinking what, I want that documentary. What What if he just, like, I don't know, threw it on a cheese toasty maker? I wonder what would have happened completely. <laughs> the, yeah. The, the triangular with the little cross on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's just, he just waffles them and uh, he gets the Adidas logo and he just goes, oh, fuck that, already taken. <laughs> Brilliant. I, love I just love, I just loved that little, like, I, w I was, of all the things that I thought I was going to get in Wild Wild Country, it, it was not going to be the invention of Nike shoes by Waffle Iron. By Waffle Iron, I love that. No, yeah, that's loved it. Yeah. But great documentary all in all. Um, my one, I think this is like the, the one that I don't know where you'll get, but for me it was like, it's less of like a Joe Exotic talking about testicles moment and more just like this is blowing me away type scene. Um, it's kind of two parts really, but... Basically, RuPaul's Drag Race, um, which I love dearly, has, uh, you know, a uh, kind of common staple of each show. And in the final is this, uh, is this lip sync for your life. And that's how they're judged. They do a, a lip sync performance to a famous song, a kind of club, yeah. popular song. And then they, from that, from that performance, they're judged whether they stay in the competition or leave. And then in the final, it's like whoever's the best one wins the competition. And all these people do some fantastic like displays of 
of like you know it reveals and stuff like that and uh, you know people they keep on trying to one up one another and as the show's gaining in popularity people have more budgets and they're doing bigger and more extravagant things like now it used to be people go into the show and all the stuff they've done they've got it made for them but they've got it made really cheap and cheerful but now if you if people know you're going on rupaul's drag race especially in the us they'll like you can get like actual designers to work with you to make some of the outfits because they know it's going to be seen by hundreds of thousands of people Okay. So they know they know that it's kind of like, so you have like actual people sporting it anyway. So final show, you got two that stick out for me, and I thought I'd group them together just because I'm not going to talk about RuPaul for the entire show. So one of them is uh, the winner uh, called Sasha Velour, who was a bald queen, and she would kind of like come on stage and she'd be bald a lot of the time, like, and she'd look amazing still, like absolutely fantastic. Check out her Instagram; she's an amazing uh, drag performer, and. Uh, it's probably one of the most iconic scenes in the TV show. She comes out um, in this like red wig, really nice dress. And the sing the song that she's lip syncing to with the other queen is uh, So Emotional by Whitney Houston. Oh yeah, yeah. Do so that, she, yeah. she's Good. singing and like it's getting to the bit of it. And at the mo at this point, it's just looking like a normal lip sync and they're pretty neck and neck. And then she does this thing and it's such a, it's such a small thing and it sounds really like, pathetic when I say it on on like audio but it, it, was, it was so impressive when you watch it is that she kind of lifts up her wig and she's filled the entire inside of her wig with rose petals and so as she like lifts it up all these rose petals start falling down and the crowd loses their shit they just they, they go absolutely mental even the person singing next to her oh, I can't wow. even remember what queen it was okay. but she kind of kind of looks left and realizes I've I've lost this. I've I'm I can't I can't I can't win that. And and it's just one of those moments where it's like it was such a small thing, but it just blew everyone away just because of the way uh, the way the performance of it. So yeah. that really impressive and like an amazing moment. I was like, what the hell? That's amazing. The other one is less so. Again it's in a final. And again, you know, usually in the finals they do these big you know, massive things because they have the, they've become, they've kind of gotten to the top three and then there's like a few weeks between the final airing of the recorded show and the live final. So that by this point, people know that they're the winner. So they get a lot of budgets and they get a lot of money to like do stuff. And so one of the, the queens whose name I can't remember, I think it's not Monet Exchange, but I'm not going to try and remember the name because it was take too much of our time. But she's got this really great idea. She is going to actually do pretty much a similar type of thing with these rose petals, but instead of rose petals, she's going to open up her gloves and <laughs> live butterflies, you're close, live butterflies flying out. Because like, I think like you can freeze them in such a way that when they thaw with under the heat, they'll just fly out. So, you know, can you imagine that? That'd be amazing. Like you're sinking and then like you take a glove off and then suddenly all these butterflies start flying out of you. That'd be oh, so God. impressive. Okay. And then they try to do it, and oh my god, I, I, it's 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 mm. one of the most it's one of the most uncomfortable things to watch is when oh, no. they're trying to like they they realise that obviously for whatever reason the butterflies aren't flapping, they're dead or whatever, and they're just trying to blow them, and they're just flopping to the floor, and and you can just watch, and you can just see like I the collective embarrassment oh. in the entire theatre as that happens. And like, it was, it's, it's very, oh. very like, oh, it's, it's like, yeah. Um, so she was basically trying to mess about with some sort of butterfly cryogenics <laughs> and reanimate yeah. these when she's doing this final but like little... she had she had asia o'hara that's her asia o'hara that was the queen but she had like like she wasn't like she was just like oh this will be a fun idea and i'll just do it like she was working on it and doing it properly um like she had she had some form of professional performance artist who knew how to do it but i think there was something like what she's explained and since then has been like the lighting had like not properly thawed the butterflies and so they were still kind of frozen when she started to pull them out um but yeah it was i mean literally like you wouldn't see that in a normal reality tv show um and it is it's it's just impressive generally speaking the show is impressive you needed help from uh michael kane in the uh the prestige yeah but i thought you didn't like uh christopher nolan movie. that's me only that's the only one i like 
It's a great movie. It's a great movie. I thought you were going to say he needs my help from Michael Caine from The Swarm. <laughs> the <giant. laughs> that would have been well better. Um, yeah, that, that would have been fantastic. I was originally going to go for, have you started watching Unsolved Mysteries yet? Not yet, no. So this no. this wasn't really a WTF, more as just like a head scratcher. There's one about this guy. I don't know whether to spoil it for you or not. <laughs> don't, spoil, don't spoil it. Go for the go for the. Yeah, the I'll go, I'll go for the other one. Uh, there's a mysterious hole in the roof that I can't quite understand. <laughs> okay. And I think me and my dad were both watching it. And I think by the end, we were full on ready to like quit our careers and, <laughs> and go like become like McGovern PIs and go at it full time. If you know what I mean? Like it was that engrossing. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I'll go for the because you reminded me of this. So this this was again one of the best thrilling documentaries. I mean, it's not up there with I think the like human insight of the Grey Gardens and the palaces burning and, and documentaries like that. But still, for a thrilling documentary, it's, it's one of the best I've ever seen. And it is uh, Don't Fuck with Cats. Yeah, the tale of uh, Canadian. No, he's not a serial killer. Well, he's a sort of. He is if, you, if you count cats, yeah, yeah, I guess um, he's yeah. a, it's a, a Canadian killer called Luca Magnoda. Luca um, Magnoda, and this is just again one of my absolute favourites of the last few years. Follows these two people, two sort of like internet Facebook people, trying to track down a sicko, uh, and the whole documentary is about their hunt, really. Uh, and at first, they think they're hunting something. Equally disgusting and sinister, a guy who shows these uh, videos of cats being tortured and things like that. But so that they're absolutely mm. bombing him after that. But it it, it gets even it, it plums even more darker depths than that. It, it, it's just great. Uh, in terms of the jaw drop moments for me, uh, on, on a practical level, you've got. I think this is this is probably the most. Bar, uh, the most graphic Netflix documentary I've ever seen. Oh yeah, hundred percent, definitely. With the with the with the snake, when uh, the yeah. snake that it's... that I was I could not watch that. I was just I can't. And it's it, it, I mean some of the so it, it shows you these these like video nasty sort of things, and there's bits where it cuts away and it'll have one of the the women who's helping track down this killer, and as she's like describing what she sees. And she's crying. So, so, so you get the impact on that. But, but sometimes it, it doesn't even bother with uh, sort of tactics like that. It just shows you these disgusting things. So it's probably the most graphic thing I've seen on Netflix. Um, he, there's jaw-dropping moments from Mr. Luca Magnota himself uh, when he's committed, uh, he's killed a person this time. It escalates rapidly. And during the body disposal process, he's getting rid of body parts bit by bit, binning them. And he's in his little flat uh, lobby. And he, he actually takes the time, this was all caused on, on the CCTV camera in the lobby, to look at himself in the mirror, sort of yeah, and check himself pout, and pose, uh, you know, uh, give a little uh, comb through of his hair. And it's just like... I can't believe, I mean, I can't fathom the, the killer mindset anyway, but I can't yeah. fathom the this sort of like having a little moment to yourself, like a little vanity moment while all of this shit's going on. But isn't he wearing the T-shirt of the guy he killed <laughs> yes, as well? That's yes, he is. Like so weird about it. It's like it's like he's, he's, he's tried out an outfit and he's just checking himself. And it's so dark. I think for me, it's also the... The fact that he spent hours, presumably hours upon hours, superimposing himself onto yes. shots with celebrities and models and stuff, and and most of the time doing quite a decent job, like you know most of the time actually doing like a quite you know it looks like they're there. It's only when people start to actually analyse and they realise mm. they're fake pictures, and so it's it's and like creating this fake image of like Luca Magnotta is actually like this like world class model that everyone loves but just yeah. from him just it's that's shocking that's weird um yeah what's yeah i completely agree yeah because basically i mean i i think probably even though it gets really you know in quotes juicier more graphic and 
explicit as it goes on. I think probably the first episode is by far the most gripping as you're getting into mm. the world of this guy and, and what he's up to. Um, and the sheer effort that these two, there's like a little Facebook community of really trying to nail this guy down. Who is he? Where is he from? What evidence can we uh, scrape together to try and track him down? And what they go through, like freeze frame in the videos and stuff like that is, is fantastic. But there comes a moment where they're doing all of this and they're like listening to the audio freeze frame and they're looking, tracking down like products that they can see in the videos. Like mm. they try and track down a Hoover and they find out it's only available in certain parts, you know, all of this sort of shit. And then one of them gets a message, like a DM, and it says, are you onto this guy? And it's Luca Magnoda. Um, where did that come from? They never explained that. Who who DM'd them that? Was it Luke Magnotta? Yeah, so he I wanted so. to be right from the get. So I mean, because he could have he could have gone by without being discovered for for quite a while, really. But but why did he film himself to, yeah, to killing yeah, the guy true, in the first yeah, place? Yeah. It's it's it, it's like the serial. It's like the Zodiac killer sending letters to the police and taunting Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yeah, that's the police true. And stuff yeah, like Zodiac, yeah. it's it's that sense of like I I'm smarter than you. I'm so smarter than you that uh, I have to give you, you know, clues to through, yeah. yeah. Um, and I have to no, help, I, I agree. I have to and help then you along, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think okay. Ted Bund Ted Bundy was like went on like. That Ted Bundy was like one of the volunteer parties that went on looking for mi the missing girls. Oh, yeah, that's like and stuff yeah. like that. It's 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 like it's it's really, you know, that this is my A level psychology coming into play. But like this is very much, a, you know, it's very much a common staple of like the killer. That's why you say he did only killed one person, but he was very much of a serial killer mindset. Um, yeah, so actually. Yeah. Oh, and the last WTF moment from that actually, which I think is brilliant is that again it's just layer upon layer of this guy's completely fucked up uh, psyche is at the end where they're trying to he pins it tries to pin it on someone else like he was coerced into it or he was someone was paying him to do these sort of snuff videos like there was a mastermind behind it and and they investigate names don't they like they say that a guy called manny vasquez and I love it how they mm. track it down, like it's a reference to Basic Instinct, which is one of which was yeah. one of his favourite movies. And at right at the end, which again it was almost like a usual sex sort of Kaiser Soze sort of montage, is that the documentary makers stacked up like images of where he dropped references to um, Basic Instinct, the movie. So an American Psycho, and wasn't it, yeah. it? Basic Instinct, American Psycho. Like in the Killing Video, he's got like. It, it mirrors the first bit of Basic Instinct where they're on a bed and she kills him with the ice pick. Um, and then probably the most creepy of all, when he's in the police station, mm -hmm. uh, at the end, he's finally been caught, this guy, by Interpol, gets dragged back to Canada. He's being interviewed. He asks for a cigarette, something like that, which he takes a cigarette. And he does, he actually does his own version of the Sharon Stone. Um, yeah. Whoa, what was that? Billy Bollocks. And then he turned... <laughs> She's on a Luger, a giant Luger. Um, he actually reenacts <laughs> the yeah. famous uh, Sharon Stone. Leg cross. And, and when they do this little, and at one point he tells that lawyer that he goes to see that he looks like Michael Douglas. And just that montage, you'd be like, oh, it, it was literally like the coffee cup yeah. falling in usual suspects. Yeah. I thought that was incredible. No, I think that's uh, it's brilliant. Really good documentary. So that was Netflix, and now it's time. I say this with a dramatically falling voice, sort of Joe Exotic eulogy style. <laughs> and now we turn to the final season of Casting Couch. Mm. We've been working on our, slowly working on our plot for Know Me, Knowing You, Elizabeth Berkeley Speaks Out a mm. new documentary airing later this year and so typically we hand over to our our other co-host our other show host max what's been playing in your mind with this title because obviously anyone who our loyal listener will be well aware that showgirls is a bit of a touch point especially for me yeah and it's 
even though we haven't covered it in any depth or thoroughness as such, it's definitely out there as one of the classic all-time good bad movies. So yeah. what are you thinking for this documentary? I think you might be surprised by this. Um, I think <laughs> okay. it's going to be, uh, I think, so first things first, setup is it's a few years into the future now. And um, Nomi's coming out about, I haven't decided what yet, but something has happened within the showgirls that she's ready to speak out as, as the title suggests. The documentary is cut between two distinct styles. The first is a classic interview style where she's speaking to a host and With, telling uh, a story. Elizabeth Berkeley, this is. Elizabeth Berkeley. Oh, so yes. she's coming out, she's, oh, I see. So something like, um, probably taps into all like the climate. I mean, she's coming out with like some maybe nasty backstage behavior or something like that, I think. Yeah, but I think, I think, I think, you know, for the purposes of our thing and not to be too serious about it, I want to just say it's, I don't know. Yeah, you know, okay. I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's something like um, Kyle MacLachlan is, uh, actually thinks he's Dale Cooper from, uh, from Twin Peaks <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and coming out basically almost like, rather than it being kind of sordid and dark, which obviously is not the nature of this show, um, is, is kind of more like she's actually coming out with all the, the kind of weird habits and quirky things of all the characters like that she it. worked with. Like, you know, and she's just doing this expose because, you know, main cast obviously like probably pretty much destroyed her career, didn't do anything afterwards really. So it's like her, her kind of shot to try and kind of get back in the thing. So it's shot between her on set or not on set but like in Las Vegas and like being followed by like a free camera like on like her going oh you know this is where we filmed me when I was happy when I went mental and started like you know eating that burger really angrily and, and fries, stuff like yeah. that and the fries really angrily um oh and this is where this happened and that's happened so like her kind of going around like retracing her steps of her time on the shot and her in like a, a standard interview format um speaking to an interviewer the main presenter and back and forth so like you know she's she's kind of like you'll kind of go and see like her tell the story firsthand when she's there but then like the interviewer will ask more prodding questions will like kind of get more more expose on that now for the interviewer i'm gonna put you ash as the uh, <laughs> as <laughs> okay uh, uh that's interesting yeah i mean i i'm more than i mean i'll, <laughs> I'll do it pro bono literally but the uh, ignore that <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> the uh, yeah ignore that I'll do I was thinking Michael Flatley <laughs> that br- <laughs> Flatley my dear I don't river dog <laughs> one of my yeah uh, so yeah no I, I'm happy so again um, you know that'll be big press coverage Michael Flatley gets bumped from the interviewer slot yeah in place yeah. of me yeah definitely would um, i have to yeah i think i'll probably have to be restrained in the sense of the way hannibal lecter is in silence of the lambs <laughs> uh, for a glass and just screen. interview through <laughs> Yeah, just I'll have to be. Yeah, I'll be behind glass. Uh, you know what you remind me of, Nomi? A rube. You're a goddamn rube. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I'm ha- I'm happy to interview Berkeley and get all of the the interesting gossip behind the the scenes. Um, maybe yeah, some of the habits. Definitely, Carl McLachlan's uh, backstage antics. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I would say Carmo Lacken just thinks he's Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. Like that. He's personal. just he just thinks, yeah. Just on a different actually, mission or something like that. Yeah, he thinks he's FBI Dale Cooper, he's on a mission, like he's asking where like Was Laura Palmer in the lineup of the No, no, uh, he th- he thinks Nomi is Laura Laura Palmer. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's yeah. that's his like that's his um his his impersonation there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you said it was going to flick between two things. One was going to is me doing the interview behind uh, plate glass. The <laughs> other is. So yeah, like one would be like the classic interview interviewee style format. Yes. I think the other one would be um, Elizabeth Berkeley, like retracing her steps 
on uh, live at the scene type thing of her like walking uh, okay, through yeah. Las Vegas and kind of pointing out things like, oh, you know, that's where that's where the director, um, you know, decided to to climb a tree and <laughs> film. OK, you know, so like, it's going to be a mixture of the mundane as well. Yeah, like there'll be some like I think, but like like with a lot of documentaries, you know, you'll have someone like walk around, like they might be going back to a really horrible, traumatic place, but they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, like uh, Doris over there used to sell lemonade, and, just, and <laughs> yeah. they'll just they'll just make these like really casual observations before then diving into it. So this <laughs> yeah. was where this was where I was shot seven times. Yeah, um, and that's and I think that's what we'll. I suppose I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe. Yeah, I'd like it to be revealed that maybe Tony Moss was was a real Vegas producer. They're like, that's not acting either. Uh, maybe he used to ice his own nipples before set. <laughs> Icing a little. So yes, yeah, so, so yeah. So when he's when he offers it round, he'd be like, well, either yeah, with that scene where he Nomi's auditions and he brings on the ice and he says to the girls, you know, either you do or I do. Um, obviously intended to be like a, a big sexist power moment uh i yeah maybe it turns out that okay it, it comes across as sexist but in fact that that was just tony moss's ritual himself he would order a, an ice bucket a champagne bucket into his uh, dressing room every every afternoon but no champagne <laughs> what was going on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> woman says he's ripped his way through two shirts yeah uh, the, the kind of like chest of his of his shirts are always damp um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh no you know where you catch someone off camera slightly you know where we've, we've talked about before in our uh, documentaries episode please please go and watch the slightly off camera thing maybe maybe Elizabeth Berkeley's not aware. It turns around and she's just got a fork with a doggy pal pouch. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's in. And that's maybe that's the climax of it is when you realise that she eats doggy chow. I, I think I think one of the the kind of like main things about the, your dynamic between you know you and Nomi kind of continues. Uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, yeah. Elizabeth Berkeley, yeah. But um, but you just keep on calling her Nomi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 There's. Uh, I like that. Do you ever watch? This is a side note, but I I, I love this guy. Martin Short plays a character called Jiminy Glick. No, you ever see it? right? No. YouTube is videos. It's basically uh, rude celebrity interviews, but he does everything to be rude mm. and put the celebrity off. And in one of them, he interviews Ice Cube, and for the yeah. first minute maybe two minutes all he says is so you used to be called vanilla ice and then ice cube is getting gradually more irate uh, and he goes change the subject he goes ah, i'll change the subject mm. you changed your name though from <laughs> it, it, it's so good but yeah I, i'm imagining sort of like maybe maybe we do like an antagonistic yeah sort of interview maybe it's not just me full of lust and drool but uh as um cool i i think also though it should also be about her like trying to you know like make something more of herself obviously this was a mm. big you know attack Unfortunately, on her career so, really. yeah. Like, yeah and so maybe it's a case of her like trying to to kind of do her own vegas vegas show Ooh. um and that's part of like what she's trying to do is like she's given a bit of an expose she's going walking like treading the boards of where she she like her career was lost mm. almost and then she she kind of like is, is is leading up to her big performance where she's actually hosting this big showgirls style was it the goddess that's like the the kind of show that they that she wants to be in like you know like that, that big showgirl style presentation you know uh, thing and it's building up that and she's like reflecting on it and she's almost turning this pain into a into kind of a nice thing oh, okay yeah maybe maybe it's okay that's interesting maybe she's doing like a a one-woman um, show type thing you know, like yeah. a, a monologue. Why don't you like me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a version of that, but like um, 
just about her whole whole experience. Um, Maybe she's got a book published as well, and she's going to book signings, and no one's there. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I like this. So, so she's trying to do this like I'm I'm climbing back, bouncing from, back. I bounce yeah, back. Okay, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people bounce back, and and she thinks that people are going to really rally around her. This like okay, strong yeah. character who's like you know, like like there's the documentary on Netflix becoming with um. Michelle Obama and it's like following her on tour it's interviewing her it's also her book signings and like showing that obviously life after being the first lady she's doing so much and people really rally around her and respect her it's like Elizabeth Berkeley mm. is the Kung Fu Elliot I, I, yeah I really like that angle actually so yeah it's it's part comeback story part diagnosis of of what went wrong with the film but then maybe I think I think you know bless her like maybe we have like a nice happy ending for her like maybe it can be like she, like you think all the way along that, okay. and this would be quite nice. Like all the way along, you think like this show that she's going to open is going to be bomb. It's going to bomb. No one is turning up. Like there are like moments like again caught off camera where like, you've got like the ticket salesman going like no mm. one's bought your tickets. Like you know you're like we're only at ten percent capacity and stuff, and everyone's and she's and she's just trying to ignore it, and you can tell she's almost like on the verge, and you know, and then obviously she has a big falling out with you. Um, obviously, yeah. After the after after the twentieth time you try and slip her a ten, um, and then and then it comes to the end of a show. She's like freaking out. The cameras are on her, like you know, quite close behind the scenes. She's freaking out, and she she's too scared to look at the audience. And then she walks out, and That's like great. the entire place is packed, um, and it's like revealed that you've that you've like actually like yeah. been doing this to try and promote her throughout the whole thing and you've actually brought this audience in. Right, that's yeah. the end of this week's show. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, one more to go, which will be our awards ceremony. Interestingly enough, last fact, I promise, Netflix did try out their own awards ceremony uh, in 2013, I believe, the Flickies, and uh, it failed. Really? As likely will ours, but that won't stop us. So, Max, what can our loyal listener expect to hear next week for our finale? I think it's uh, it's going to be a weird one, our last one. Uh, I think this all started as a way to connect, even though lockdown was keeping us apart and keeping us limited and chatting. Um, <laughs> and there's only so many virtual pub quizzes that you can actually do. So uh, this project has been that and, you know, we're, we're coming out, you know, midway through July now recording this one and lockdown's easing, you know, we're going, we're going to be catching up face to face and stuff. So part of this is a reflection on you know, why, why do we care so much about these movies uh, and why they are so important. And I think the other part is, is looking at some of the highlights, you know, like, you know, these play, these films that we're speaking about are never going to get awards, and probably rightfully so, if, if we're looking at the Academy or, or anything like that, for that reason. But, um, you know, in our own way, I think we want to pay due respect to these movies for bringing us together, for making us laugh, and hopefully making you laugh as well. Um, so, yeah, it's award season, so uh, wear your, you know, black tie, do uh, ball gown, um, and, and get ready for a, a bit of a kind of reflective show, I guess, for our last episode. Yeah, and before we go, as we're coming to the end, that means that we will have a decent catalogue of stuff here to listen to online. If anyone keeps in touch with us over Twitter, which we post, and Insta as well, we, we post a fair bit on there. But one of the announcements that we have this week is that we're a slight shift in programming. Before it was every two weeks we pop one up, now we're shifting to one, so far more regular weekly episodes coming online. There's about five archive now. There's going to be another good four or five to come. We're on Castbox, uh, Anchor, and all of those sort of things. Keep following us on social. We do like to chat, and we put stuff on there as well. Just stuff that are related to what goes down in these episodes, other wider stuff as well. So keep in touch. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Mm -hmm.